With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland, this is The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous. On this evening's show, we welcome to the studio Emma Martin, dancer, punk thinker and ball of energy. We hear from guitar supremo Alec O'Leary. We chat to singer Fea Rook from Soda Blonde. And we will hear words from Sunday Times writer Dolly Alderton when quizzed at this year's Boris Festival by DBC Pierre about love. And we'll hear a piece of music featuring Wilco Johnson, who just left us for the big blue sky. My first guest this evening is Emma Martin, whose raw energy for dance spills from every project she's been involved in and seeps from the pages of the words written about her. She describes herself as a choreographer who makes shows that are sometimes too loud, too messy, too big, that are sweaty, rough, punky, muscular, raw, virtuosic, frenzied, ugly, intense. Dance to make your heart thump. It's all or nothing. She lives up the way in the part of Carla that has close affinity to Kilkenny, and it's a genuine pleasure to have her live in the studio, an immense talent with integrity and openness, who clearly falls, who clearly loves to make bold and raucous work with her company, United Fall. You're very welcome. Thanks, Hugo. So Emma, dance, um, more so than other art forms, I guess, is very collaborative. Uh, Chrissy Hine said when choosing her band that she wants nerds and obsessives and the kind of people that you wouldn't want at your dinner party to be in her band. Is it the same for you? What kind of company are you keeping? Yeah, yeah. No, I um, I sort of go for people who I know will become as obsessed and fall in love with an idea like I do. Um, and generally, I'd have a good sense of you know, the type of people that I would ask to be involved in something. So, so would you look for <clears throat> talent over mischief? Would you look for, you know, passion over technical ability? Yeah, definitely passion over technical ability all the time. Um, and yeah, for sure, mischief, fearlessness, I think. Um, people that aren't afraid to maybe make things that, that don't fit into a known model. Is always yeah, exciting you, to me. You, you, you began your dancing life as a as a ballet dancer, and um, and then I think maybe left its formality behind. So, mm. would you describe yourself as a as a freestyle dancer? Um, well, I I suppose when I describe myself as a dancer, I still describe myself as a ballet dancer mm. uh, because that is. That was my dancing uh, experience as a performer. Um, I didn't really, once I started choreographing, I never really put myself on stage. Um, so in some ways, I still have that um, sort of first love with ballet. But somehow, you know, I put all my... Um, energy and ideas into other people's bodies when I'm working with them. So, you know, I'll dance with them in the studio, but I won't I won't perform my own work. So it's it's a kind of a 
a, a weird kind of process for me. Do you pr- prefer that? Do you be, do you prefer being the director of the show? And the- not necessarily. It's just it's just the way it sort of happened because I gave up dance for a number of years and then sort of went into my head and you know went to college or university and read a lot and then and then sort of came back into my body and I you know it was a process of kind of going okay well what kind of move around am I without without ballet and that formality so it's kind of um yeah I, I suppose having that break what it did was it took away the performance practice which you know is one of the most important things over technique or um, anything like that and I feel it's not something because I've stayed so much in the back round you know of the shows that I'm making the shows but I'm not putting myself in them that um you know, I don't. I, I think you need to earn your place on stage, mm-hmm. and that takes years and years of performing, mm-hmm. looking at an audience, uh, you know, and um, exchanging that energy. And you can't just switch that on. So, I feel like I've kind of, you know, uh, given up that that part of myself now. Just to okay. And tell us create. what sort of projects you're working on. What have you? What's bubbling away? Um, well, there's a, a, um, a really interesting process happening at the minute where I'm making a solo piece that's also going to be an installation and that's going to be in the gallery in visual okay. uh, in February. So that's, uh, that's a really exciting um, prospect for me to make something outside of a theatre um, and to have the opportunity to create a space and an atmosphere and, you know, to, to create a performance through sound, almost. Okay, so is it a, <clears throat> is it a live installation? Are you... It's, it, uh, so it's, it's activated, that's okay. such a, a trendy word, but it's activated by a solo performance for the first um, couple of nights okay. and then this sound installation and um, kind of sp- space, I guess, remains after. So it's like a ghost of the performances in the installation. Um, the sound installation is it is a music piece or is it? A, it's um it, well there's there's um text uh, voiceover text um there's um I suppose we're kind of it's called shrine mm-hmm. um and it's um a kind of a end of the world abyss okay a, a shrine to humanity okay so and yeah. so then the aspects of you that are the choreographer or the movement artist. Mm. They're there for the first couple of nights and then they're gone, but the, but yeah. the turin shroud of you is, is, is still there. It, it remains, yeah. And I suppose, you know, I'm always really involved in the the music um, and the design and the world of every piece I make. So it's a nice uh, opportunity for me to work with the sound uh, composer and we're working really closely together on what that sound universe is. And, and who is the sound composer? Uh, his name is Mick Donoghue, also known as T-Walk. Okay, very yeah. good. Lovely. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward to that. That's in February in visual. That's in February, I, yeah. I, I think I've heard you say before somewhere that, that, um, that you spent a bit of time uh, watching other, I suppose you'd call them ritualistic dances. Um, the fact that this one's called Shrine made me think of it, and and um, and and you'd you'd either written or spoken about um, the 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 whirling of Sufi worship and um, 
and the sort of shape cutting of disco kids in 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 nightclubs and mm. and um the the um sort of voodoo dances from Haiti i can't remember what they all were but mm. there were all these things that that that, that some had had this aspect of of worshipping, in the case of the disco, I guess, at the, at the desk of the DJ. Yeah. And is there an element of that to it? Are you, what gods are you praying to? Yeah, no, I suppose, you know, I, I love that quote um, that dances are God's athletes. <laughs> and I feel like, yeah. you know, it, there is there is something very... Um, I, I'll probably sound really woo-woo now, but really mm. sacred about dancing, you know, and we probably danced before we spoke. Yeah. So I think it's a very ancient thing that's within all of us. And um, I really, I just, you know, I think about where we are in the world and, you know, the sort of predominant faith in some ways, when you look at the art and you look at all the sort of mystical aspects of that, there's actually so much physical kind of elements in it but then when you think about the the modern practice of that the body is completely sort of cancelled out and Mm -hmm. so I sort of love coming across like you know any sort of uh, faith or you know sort of expression of that that also uses it uh, is I mean it's you know our our, our worship here our prominent worship here is so motionless mm. and 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 it's and it's sad really to see people who who don't know how to use their bodies to move at all yeah and yeah. and and who don't and then i i was um talking earlier today to someone about how you know when you watch other people dance they're gen generally speaking always having so much fun yeah yeah, no, I think I mean just on a, on a physical level, you know, it it actually oxygenates the blood, and um, moving and dancing and shaking and you know and that you know shakes your cells and that rushes endorphins and you know there's there's so much sort of scientific stuff to it, but then also, you know, I do think there's a kind of potential communing with something beyond ourselves, you know, when we dance or when you have an intention, you know, to to put your dancing towards something. Okay, so, well, listen, yeah. we're going to have to commune for a minute with some advertisers and we'll be back in just a moment. The Art Show on KCLOR with Hugo Jealous with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. KCLR. 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 So we're back talking endorphins and um, dancing, choreography and movement with Emma Martin. Um, and uh, perhaps, Emma, I can just jump straight back in and, and talk about uh, the, a, a piece of your recent work, um, Night Dances, um, last, year's, last year's work. Although I think I, I think it toured abroad this year. Mm. The words that I've heard to describe this um, this uh, project are raucous and thrilling and relentless and gutsy and bone-shattering and ferocious and hypnotising. These aren't gentle words. This is what I'm getting at. Mm. What what goes on? <laughs> well, the music is quite violent, so some of those words might have come from that. But... Um yeah, it's um, it's a dance show in four parts, and it's supposed to, to kind of explain the whole thing. Or you know, to explain where the whole thing came from, it's a tribute to dancing uh, and dancing humans, like not professional dancers, but all of us. You know, um, so um, there's you know two male, male solos. There's a part for five children. 
uh, five young female dancers and then a trio of women. And um, I suppose they're all... um, celebrations in a way of uh you know one's a comes from a memory of of seeing people at a rave when i was very young and really just having a, a moment of understanding like wow this is dancing and this is you know freedom and um, us a bit more about that moment it was it was a moment where um my brother snuck off to a rave in the SFX in Dublin and um, my cousin happened to be DJing at it who was my mum's godson she got wind of it stormed in, well we actually lived in Meath we drove to Dublin somehow (laughs) I I was in the car at like one in the morning and um, it's like a film memory in my head because I actually remember these doors they were sort of like, you know um, what do you call those? Saloon doors doors, doors. and she sort of stormed in wait there, wait in the car and you know, um, and I remember seeing in there was all these topless people with face masks and Vaseline (laughs) I don't know and and, and all these colours and they were sweating and dancing and I just at the time I was a little ballet bunhead but I just it was like a lightning bolt you know into my you saw it and were thrilled by it thrilled and terrified and enthralled to it and enthralled and it just it it remains as a memory of of um, you know a really uh, yeah why do we dance and there's something so democratic in that, you know, in people going out and just, yeah, like getting rid of all their, um, you know, shit from the week. Oh, yeah. I can't say that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, stuff that they don't need through dancing and through. And um, so, so then tell us, you worked with, did you say, five younger dancers? Five younger dancers. How was that? Was yeah. that your first. Uh, no, I, they were actually three of them were from Dance Republic in Carlow, yes. who I have to mention because they're wonderful. They're an amazing school, and uh, I've been kind of, you know, tipping about with Dance Republic for a couple of years and borrowing dancers here and there for different things. Yeah. And um, what I love about them is the kids are in there five, six nights a week. Uh, they could be in for like three or four hours training for competitions and they're all really virtuosic and amazing like amazing and the teachers are really uh, just so ambitious for them and um, I sort of love it so I worked with three of the girls were from there Mm -hmm. and I'd made like lots of iterations over the previous years with some older girls and they passed it on to the younger ones and yeah, and so schools lovely. like um, like like that that school who's who's alumni because there are a lot of people who who go through Dance Republic and and and, mm. um, and, and other such schools. Is it a, are they learning a discipline because they're not obviously going to make a professional life as a choreographer, a dancer, or a movement well, artist? Well, some of them, yeah, actually, um, one of the older girls that uh, it's actually her sister who runs the school she has just graduated from London um, Studio Centre as a professional dancer she spent four years so that was a delight just to know she'd gone on and yeah she's amazing and she's she's probably going to you know work in the commercial um, sector like musicals and stuff which is quite hard to sort of get in there but yeah she's she's brilliant and she was always going to be professional I think but there's a couple more that um, I can see that will 
probably go towards we'll find our way towards it. yeah and mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of we're drawing to the end of our time so i wanted to come back to you'd mentioned one project that you're doing in the visual center mm-hmm. in february mm-hmm. um shrine tell me tell me something else you have bubbling away uh so um well, King, it's King slash Shrine. So King is the uh, solo part and then Shrine is the installation part. They are part one of a bigger series of work called Dark Days Need Ceremony, which they do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so part three of that will be made next year. And that's called that, that's called the Soft God. So I want to bring all of those pieces together in 2024. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a sort of three part um mega and then when you're doing that and sort of circling back in at the end of a project is it like bringing the band back together oh yeah and it's really hard to get the band back together because when there's lots of people involved in something it's just getting availabilities and and everything but um yeah no it's it's great to bring the band back together when we can well um, thank you very much indeed um i'm going to uh, leave you with um your own slogan which is may the salt from our sweat unite us it was a pleasure having you here in the studio thanks so much Hugo thank you We're going to listen now to Alec O'Leary, born with a guitar in his hands and into a family of musicians. He is a performer and arranger, an educator and a promoter and co-founder of the Guitar Festival of Ireland. He's the maker of high-end guitars and with his dad, and he teaches, well, guess what he teaches, at the Royal Academy of Music. My name is Alec O'Leary. Um, my art practice is I'm a musician. So I spend a lot of time uh, performing and making music as much as possible. I'm also involved in uh, lots of other things. I teach guitar. I make guitars. So I have uh, several strings to my bow. Um, I'm originally from a little place called Milford in County Carlow. And at the moment I live in Bennettsbridge in County Kilkenny. A key point in my career as an artist is probably, um, I suppose, a key point for everybody uh, when they finish their music education or their their training as an artist. Um, Shortly after that, I began a guitar festival, which I ran for 15 years. So that's a uh, that was a key thing in, in, in that gave me a lot of grounding in a lot of different areas, you know, things that I wouldn't have been used to, like finance and uh, controlling large uh, large concerts and things like that. Uh, I was uh, appointed guitar lecturer in the Royal Irish Academy of Music in Dublin uh, a number of years ago. So that's also a key point for me in my life. Um, and also I began a, a kind of a... I began commissioning new works for the instrument as well because I'm constantly uh, faced with other other musicians who have a lot a long history of compositions for their instruments and the guitar I felt was kind of falling behind I suppose so I tried to I tried to push some uh, new works to the instrument so I've been uh, actively engaged in that over the last few years and also making guitars I suppose is a is a, a, a key point in my career. We, um, myself and my dad in County Carlow, we, we, we make guitars for some of the biggest players in the world. So that takes up kind of half of my life at the moment. 
Um, what's it like to be an artist in Kilkenny? Well, for me, Kilkenny is a very special place to live and work, although I do a lot of my teaching in the Royal Irish Academy in Dublin. I always love returning home to Bennett's Bridge. It gives me a kind of um, a grounding, I suppose, in in nature. I'm very interested in being, you know, part of, I suppose, part of the world around me, the leafy the leafy world that I live in. So the pace of life kind of suits me here. Uh, I'm currently working on a new recording for a piece written for me a number of years ago. I didn't get to record it at the time. Uh, by a guy called Sergio Assad, who you may not know, but he's a very, very, uh, uh, an amazing composer, really, for guitar. Um, he's just won a, a Latin Grammy, I think one of many that he's won. Um, but he wrote a lovely piece for me, A Sweet Brasileira, and it's five movements, so I'm in the middle of recording that at the moment. I've just come away from recording another new work by a composer called Leo Brower, uh, aided by the Arts Council. Uh, I was able to commission him for a new work, and he's po- probably in in my world or in my field of work, biggest composer there. The other things that I'm currently working on are keeping my kids involved in music, in making music, uh, which is a, a daily task of trying to push them to uh, do their practice and all the rest. Uh, and I suppose time and space is important to me as a as a musician because obviously I'm all the time practicing. Everything you need to do as a musician, if you don't keep practicing, you're always you're going to go backwards. So for me, I'm all the time doing my scales, arpeggios, the stuff that I'm teaching, I'm doing myself. I have to, to stay on top of everything. Um, and the most rewarding part of being an artist, I suppose, after a concert and somebody comes up to you and says, you know, whatever they say to you, you can see in their eyes that they've been moved by something you have created or done. And I guess that kind of, that I try to keep that with me when, when I'm going to practice again. And it does move you. You know, you can see people that are, they, they're taken with what you've done and you feel like, well, you know, you, you almost forget actually as a musician that, that the work you put into it, it's to make others happy. And to see them being happy is, is obviously gratifying, I suppose. So uh, what advice would I give to somebody interested in being an artist? The advice I'd give to somebody is to follow what they feel is best for them, that makes them happy. Uh, And if that is being an artist, well, then go for it. Go for it with everything you have. And don't worry about the money. Uh, You know, if if you're really really, uh, interested and taken with something in life, the money is secondary. It'll it'll come around. You'll have whatever you have, and you'll get by as long as you know you'll be happy with what you're doing. So go for it with everything. Uh, some of the biggest influences on me and my work uh, have been well, obviously my family. All my family are musicians and artists of some sort. So from a very very young age, I was steeped in traditional Irish music in Greg Manor and Kilkenny. And um, that side of my family, you know. So that's really the biggest thing for me, the biggest influence. And it still is an influence for me to be able to uh, hear everybody around me playing music. It's it's inspiring, I suppose. And if I had one wish for the arts in Ireland, it'd be that there was a, a standardized program for younger kids, um, for kids that are, you know, in primary school age that could access instruments openly and access good uh, a, a great level of teaching 
so that it's part of just like it just like they would learn maths or PE or whatever it is that music is available to everybody no matter what um, no matter what things they have uh, no matter what barriers might stand in front of them uh, you know that, that there's somebody there to help them through that and music can can sit really well for, for, for young kids like that it's important and then um, I guess Oh yeah, you can find out more about me and my work from anywhere, anywhere online. If you search my my name, you'll get lots and lots of information. So all the usual platforms, iTunes and the lot. You're listening to The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous, brought to you with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. You're listening to KCLR. Joining us now on the phone is Faye Rook, the owner of one of the most beautiful voices in music. She is one quarter of Soda Blonde with Adam, Donna and Dylan, a project that replaced little green cars overnight when they decided that change must come before they got really big and became not very nice people. Faye, good evening. It's an honour to have you. Faye, let me, um, let me ask you first of all, are you a servant of music or is it something that you feel you can drop in and out of oh gosh that's an interesting question um i i I couldn't say i drop in and out of it i've been doing it for so many years now it sort of feels like a part of me and i think that was the big um that was why it was so pivotal that moment when we finished with the last band because you know it was a question of pursuing things and maybe becoming an adult um as as many people told me to do and uh, you know maybe get a degree and go on but I suppose there was just something there that I felt I had to pursue and you know it's, it's, it's who I am and, and so with your well, let's call them your work colleagues um, do you, do you, do you sh- did you share the same journey to becoming an adult or do you worry that they might float off into other projects or worse still gain success with other musicians well, I think, you know, you have to do it for yourself. And if, if your fate is tied to other people, that makes things very complicated. Um, so you have to have a certain amount of security in, in your own path. And I think we're all extremely supportive of, of one another. And I think music is on the cards uh, for all of us. And it could be in, you know, many other projects. Um, I think we'd be naive to think that this would go on until our, you know, <laughs> our 80s. Uh, but who knows, you know, we, maybe it will. Oh, well, like you know, one one hopes, and 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 if it does, there's a reason for that. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, tell me, small talk. Uh, um, what what does an entirely self-produced album actually mean? What what drops away from the process when you're doing it all yourself? Well, it, I can only speak on you know my own from my own experience, and I think even with little green cars we were always working off demos that we had made ourselves, even as kids. Um, Adam is extremely savvy um, with recording equipment and always had been since we were really young. Um, So I guess it's just having full control and having a vision beyond, you know, chords and melody. You want to be able to create a soundscape and for us making something that sounds cinematic was always really important. And there's a, it's a real privilege actually to be able to do that and um, to be able to be so self-sufficient because it means you can you can keep go you can go back and revise and you can grow with the music and takes a lot of pressure off um, and, and I think you know I say we make pop music but pop music really is it's just a broad term because I think everything else has 
you know, if you're making rock music or you're making, you know, reggae music, it's going to sound, yeah. it's going to be within a certain parameter. But I guess what what we decided to do was just, you know, hold nothing back. And I think the producing of the record was, that's how we bond, you know, because I, I write the songs myself with, with, you know, an instrument and, and bring it to the guys. And the arranging and producing is something that we really connect over and, over. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and also lovely, you know, to be able to work without um, not having some dude tapping his watch and looking alarmed by the cost <laughs> of the studio, and and uh, particularly yeah. when you're making what what sort of sounds like a, a, a diary of flaws and insecurities and about being lost, and yeah, um, and I, you know, I, I wonder, you know, your 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 songs are, are tackling bust relationships and who we all are and about getting messed up or becoming a grown up or the you know the twitching and blinking of what everyone else calls life do you do you often feel like you want to tackle subjects you know different subjects lyrically in music i I don't know mountaineering philosophy neuroscience (laughs) bicycles yeah i think that that especially as one gets older i think and you form um more of an opinion i think you feel as an artist there's a certain obligation to to speak out on on certain issues certainly politically and uh, about you know more delicate topics but um I, i do think it's important to stand back from things as well and leave space for not interpretation but i feel like there's a bit of an agenda at the moment for the artist maybe it's just my bubble and my my social media bubble but to be on the right side of the fence and to be a good person a morally you know somebody who's got their morals in check and i i don't feel like that's the point of art i think it's about exposing every aspect of you know humanity um so i guess like i i wouldn't i'm not afraid to to talk about things you know that might be more difficult to talk about and certainly as you can tell from the first record i'm able to talk about my failings quite uh, quite openly well i think it's great to be a, you know to be a sort of a dual purpose storyteller um mm. you know both of your own memoir and a documentary maker if that's the right word for things that are going on yeah, in the world around absolutely. you so um I, I suppose um Faye, if we I, I want to leave enough time to play your latest single try but um I'm so grateful to uh, get a chance to have a chat with you. Um, we've we've never met, and I and I hope we will at some point in the future. Um, you're going to be in the set theatre at the uh, on the second, and yeah. you're going to be playing a big gig up in Vicar Street then on the ninth. So we wish you the very very best of luck. Um, and if characters have venues, then um, I, I, I look forward to the difference um, in the in the gig in the set <laughs> and the gig in Vicar Street. Fantastic! Thank you so much. Pain fades, we've won. I am followed by my soul. It says, slow down. But I made my mind up and I don't need its advice right now. This is why. Time. 
Soda Blonde. Now, each week we snuffle about in the pig's trough of the Boris Festival for some words at uh, this year's weekend long writers' event. And this time round, we captured a moment between um, Irish Times journalist Roisin Ingle asking the audience if there are any questions for the brilliant Dolly Alderton, author of Everything I Know About Love, and, and obviously she pens the dear Dolly Columns. And randomly, bad boy Booker Prize winner DBCPR steps forward with something entirely unexpected. So anybody got any questions for Dolly before we, we finish? Oh, there's a gentleman. Oh, is it DBCPR? It's DBCPR. <laughs> All right. Booker Prize winner. This is the quality of the event we have here today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dolly. A serious question. Um, since the sexual revolution yes the notion of slow love the notion of uh that love which is duty and companionship and all that kind of the non-chemistry stuff the non-sexy stuff Mm. it's still there behind the idea that after our chemistry does its work we'll end up in a place where there's that kind of love and indeed across the world, take India, Pakistan, where a lot of people are in arranged marriages. And if you meet the older ones, they'll swear to you that although they never met their partner, love does grow yes. among them. Is there still a space for that? Do you feel that the pressure is now all on the sexy end of it and that, in fact, no one's thinking about that is just a nice person and I, you know, my pulse hasn't been banging, but actually I'm very comfortable next to them. We're not yeah. looking at the, at the slow game anymore. I think it's such a good point. And, you know, it's one of the things, having said I won't be too doomy about dating apps, it's something that a, a lot of my single friends in their 30s say, is that they will go on a date with a man and they will have a nice time and they'll get on well and they'll stay for hours talking and they might not kiss or they might not talk about a second date, but it feels like there is a you know, a a sense of mutual respect and fondness for each other. And almost constantly the thing that happens to them is they get a message from the bloke the next day saying there wasn't a spark. And I remember my friend saying like, well, do you know what, Derek, there wasn't a spark for me, but (laughs) guess what? (laughs) Love's really hard. And let's see if there's a space where this can grow. Like you don't necessarily need to have this like hormonal, you know, Vesuvius feeling when you're like in a pizza express with a stranger, like <laughs> not pizza express, I'm just thinking of Prince Andrew. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry to put that all in your heads. Um, uh, but I agree with you, that sense of, you know, a slow burn and a, and a slow, I, I don't know what's caused it. The sexual revolution, I think, obviously is, is a, is a persuasive argument. I think that it is the like hypersexual culture. I think it is great for some people, but I think it can make other people feel quite marginalized. I think that for a lot of people, then they're, they're not prioritizing sex and thinking about sex that much. And sexuality isn't such a huge part of their identity. Um, the thing that I, something that I heard which is one of those cliched sayings but I think about all the time um, and that I say to people is that you should put more friendship into your romance and more romance into your friendship and I basically as I get older I'm just like 
so, uh, in fact, the Dear Dolly tomorrow is about this very thing. It was about a girl who had one of those relationships that made you like ill with love. <laughs> she was so obsessed with him, like she was lovesick. Then after she broke up with him, she's now just got this lovely fella who's like a best friend and they, they, the love is growing and that it doesn't feel like that's how love should be. And something that I said to her is like, you know, if you start from that place, which has to be facade if you don't know each other you can't feel that intensely about each other in a in a kind of spiritual level um if you start there there's only one way you go and it's it diminishes whereas wouldn't you prefer to start somewhere quieter and for love to grow in a slower way and the foundations that it's built on is about you know going through experiences together and meeting each other's family and learning about each other and you know that's the kind of love that appeals to me these days thank you very much pierre thank for that you. question very nice with thanks to kilkenny county council arts office and creative ireland this is the art show on kclor with hugo jealous you're listening to kclr Thank you then to all of our guests this evening, um, to Martin and Ethna here in HQ and KCLR, to Emma Martin, to Alec O'Leary, Dolly Alderton, who you heard from just before the ad break there, Faye from Soda Blonde. Get in touch with us on the arts show at kclr96fm.com um, uh, or text or WhatsApp us on 0833069696. We'd love to hear from you. And you can listen back to the previous three on the website kclr96fm.com Now we're going to wrap up um, with uh, a a, a moment of memory. Two days ago Wilco Johnson, who's the guitarist for Dr Feelgood and a colossus on the British punk scene left us for his next life. He'd been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, a condition that had claimed the lives both of his childhood sweetheart and his wife of 2004 Irene Knight and his Dr Feelgood main guy Lee Brillo he um, decided not to undergo chemo and he went on a world, world tour instead and then while in, he was in Japan he met a surgeon who gave him a second opinion and um, left him cancer free and gave him another 10 years of his life he was also famously cast in two seasons of Game of Thrones and when they asked why uh, they had cast him he said they, they said they wanted someone really sinister who went round looking daggers at people before killing them That was second nature to me. So let's let him play us out here this evening. Rest in peace, you great man, with your crazy take on R&B and the memory of you raising your guitar to your shoulders like a machine gun and giving it socks. Thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous.